Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Amen. Amen. Hey, take your Bibles this morning and turn turn to the Gospel of John. I had stolen somebody's communion, so I found mine, so uh, we're all good. And we're doing communion at the very end. Uh, if you're in person, uh, if you want to grab some emblems, uh, and if you're here in per- I mean, if you're online, if you're in person, you haven't gotten it. Just walk out to the foyer, our guest services team. They'll it's kind of one little cup there, and I'll, we'll kind of walk you through that. So we're gonna do communion at the end. We're gonna finish the Gospel of John today with chapters 20 and chapters 21. We started this at the end of June. It really wasn't my intention to go this long. I had something else, but. You know, just sometimes things just start growing and you just, you get to certain things and wow, you just see God moving through certain passages. So uh, we've spent several months, but I think it's been a good several months to recenter on the gospel. If you want to know about the life of Jesus, the best way to do it is through the gospels and the gospel of John is a great book to read. So I gave you these things at the very beginning of the series just as a reminder about this book that we are finishing today, and I just want to give them to you really, really quick. Things to remember about John and the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John was written about 80 to 95 A.D. and was the last gospel written. Somewhere around 50 years after Jesus' death, John began to pen this. Mark was the first one that was written. The Gospel of John was the last one. The author is the disciple John who self-references himself uh, through the book. We'll read that uh, today. John was one of the younger brothers of James, and they were called the Sons of Thunder. So he had a brother that was a disciple as well. And also, when when Jesus would call uh, this three, Peter, James, and John, uh, John would be in that inner group. So that is why when you read the Gospel of John, there are things that are in the Gospel of John that aren't in other books. But John was a, an eyewitness to some of those. He was raised in Galilee, probably the seaside town of Bethsaida. It is likely he was in the fishing business you know, with his father. So as we're kind of looking at John and the Gospel of John. So John chapter 20, uh, we're going to start reading in verse... One, uh, Pastor Witt did a great job last week talking about uh, the crucifixion and and Jesus' death on the cross. So we're going to start, we're going to talk about the resurrection this morning and, and, and in this book. So early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So this passage says that it's still dark, 5, you know, 6 a.m., maybe a little earlier. Mary finds herself 
you know, coming back to the tomb. Now, if you remember in this story and other references, uh, Pilate had sent guards to guard the tomb. He was afraid that the disciples or someone would take the body of Jesus. So in this passage, we have, you know, we have a guarded tomb as well. And also, in some readings, when you talk about the stone that they used, they would put in front of the tomb these very heavy circular stones. They would also put like ropes over them like in an X, okay? So they would, you know, anchor them and they would have a, you know, ropes like this. And in the center where the intersection would be, they would take a ceramic type substance or some kind of wax type substance and they would put it on that intersection that way if something had happened to that tomb you would be able to tell you know you'd be able to tell if someone got in there so she comes the stone has been moved now this is not original with me but I think it bears pointing out okay he did not need the tomb moved so he could get out all right he wasn't resurrected, walked up to the back of the stone and go, man, we got a problem. We didn't think through this one, you know. So the stone did not need to be moved for Jesus to get out. The stone needed to be moved so that we could get in and see, you know, see what had happened, okay. So, so the resurrection, the story of the resurrection is essential, you know, why do we need the resurrection? Why was Jesus' death on the cross not enough? Okay, so what? let's look at some essential points just for a moment about the resurrection itself. <clears throat> so if, if there had only been a death on the cross of Jesus, it would have provided a continuation of the Old Testament kind of forgiveness, you know, the lambs and the rams. It would have been a little bit better version, a little bit better story. So forgiveness would have, would have been able to, you know, we would have still been able to, uh, uh, to have forgiveness. But there would have been, the limitation to that, would there would have been no life transformation. So, yeah, the Old Testament, the continuation of the, having the lambs and the rams killed and your sins kind of washed temporarily, that, that could have probably still, uh, probably still happened. But the resurrection is essential for several reasons because and when G Jesus brings, or the resurrection brings, not only forgiveness but transformation. The transform life, okay? So when we, when we baptize people, and, and it's kind of a, an, an acting out of the resurrection, we put, we put people under the water, and that is, you know, signifying their death, okay? Death to their old life. But when we bring them up out of the water, that is significant, and it's symbolic as well that this individual who was dead to their old way of living in their old life through the power of God is being raised up to a, you know, to a new life. So that's, a, that's one reason you know, uh, why we need you know, uh, the resurrection. So it's not only forgiveness, but now there is a new life that can occur because of the resurrection. In his great hope, Peter says, he's given us a new birth into the living hope. Excuse me, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
from the dead. So there's something, there's an essential quality to the resurrection that we needed, and that would be the transformed life. Another thing, you know, what, why we need the, uh, our, our Jesus resurrection brings eternal life in heaven without Christ, with Christ. Before then, you know, when people died before the resurrection, they were just kind of in this holding area, you know, just kind of a waiting room. How many of you love waiting rooms? You're just waiting. Old magazines just sitting there, just waiting, okay? So without Jesus' resurrection, that's kind of where we're at. No glory, no presence, no mansions, no streets of gold, no, no being in the presence of Jesus. But the, the resurrection of Jesus, it said he went into the dark places of the world. He, made, he brought captivity, you know, took captivity out of, uh, or took the captives out of captivity. And now you and I can go to heaven and enjoy the splendors of heaven uh, because of the resurrection and, and the last thing that I want you to see about uh, Jesus' resurrection, it brings us, is a reminder that death is not final. It's a reminder to us that death is not final for Jesus and for us as well, okay? There's a scene in the book of Revelation at the very end that I love that Jesus is holding up a set of keys. You remember what those keys represent? Death hell, and the grave. You don't have the keys unless you're the owner or you're the master. Okay, so he's just reminding everyone that death is not final for him. There was a resurrection. You know, there was a resurrection for him. And also it's a reminder to you and I when we stand beside a casket of someone that we've loved that's gone far too soon in the faith, it's just a reminder to us that even though we may grieve, that they live on in the presence of God because of, of Jesus' resurrection. So the cross was important, but the resurrection to what we know about our life in Christ was absolutely essential. Okay, so I, I just wanted to, 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 to give you that, that thinking this morning. So Mary sees... The tomb rolled away. She goes back. Uh, she gets Peter. Verse 3. <clears throat> so Peter and the other disciples. So John is self-referencing himself. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. All right. Listen. Guys are competitive. Golf, they're competitive. Chicken wings, they're competitive. Evidently, writing the Bible, they're competitive. I mean, he, he just couldn't miss the opportunity that he outran Peter, even in the Bible. So, And I'm sure Peter enjoyed reading that later on. Okay, There was probably a dispute as well. You did not. You did not. You knew I fell down. That wasn't fair. So they get to the tomb. They get to the tomb, and the tomb's gone away. John gets to the front of the tomb, and he just looks in, and he sees the grave clothes. Peter goes inside, and he sees the clothes there as well. Okay, so a, a couple of things about that, with the grave clothes being there. If people had stolen the body of Jesus, okay, it's weird enough to steal a body. 
but to strip it and carry it away naked, that's even more weird, okay? So number one, there's grave clothes that are there, but they also see as well that the way they did the grave clothes, they were still, see, they tied them a certain way. They would tie the, the head and the shoulders when they carried. The head wouldn't move or flop around. They would, they would, they would do the arms, you know, kind of really kind of reinforce the arms. So if you move the body, the arms wouldn't move. And the same kind of with the feet. They really kind of wrapped them well. So what you see, what they see is just the grave clothes just there. I mean, just like a man just had disappeared. They're still tied up. It would be almost impossible for someone to, you know, to, to fabricate what, you know, what they, you know, what they had done. Verse 8, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first. He cannot give this up, can he? You ever just been around someone, they just brag about everything they do? All right, so finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. When the disciples went back, and then the disciples went back to where they're staying. So they see this scene. There's nothing to do at that point. What, are, what do you do? So they go back to their, their, particular, their particular meeting place, and I'm sure there was all kinds of excitement and chatter. Now, over, over the next day or so, in this chapter in 21, Jesus has a couple of uh, uh, several personal meetings post-resurrection that, are, that are, I think are important here, and then we'll, we'll close this book. So, so they all go back to this area where the disciples were living. Mary decides to go back again. She goes back to the tomb. She's told Peter, you know, and Peter and John have gone. Now Peter and John have come back. And Mary, Mary is, you know, cannot get over this. So verse 11, she goes back to the tomb. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She wept as she bent over to look at the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head, the other at the foot. They ask her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around, saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around toward him and cried out, Teacher. Jesus said, Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told him, and, and, she, and she told them uh, that he had said these things to her. So she comes to the tomb, probably out of grief, reverence, worship, whatever. She comes back to this empty tomb. Somehow it's bringing some kind of comfort 
to her or she's going to investigate. But for whatever reason, she comes back to this empty tomb just to, to kind of spend a, a few moments. And she's understandably, she's emotional, okay? So, I mean, this is, this is uh, she had not planned for this in any way. So, she's understandably emotional. <clears throat> Can I just say this morning, excuse me. Sometimes when you think of all the things that Jesus has done for you, it just makes you emotional. Sometimes when you just begin to look over how God's blessed your life, look over his hand that has been on your life, sometimes, I mean, sometimes it brings tears, sometimes it just brings this great reverence and great appreciation, great emotion, sometimes... It hits you when you sing. And man, you're just magnifying God. Sometimes you lift a hand in worship when you just really kind of kind of get the fact the light bulb comes on of all that God has done for you. Sometimes there are tears, you know, that flow when we think about all that the Lord has done for us. Sometimes it it makes us pray, you know, so so we are emotional people, but we have a reason to be emotional. We have a reason. There's something that's wonderful that's happened in our lives. And there are all kinds of people that look at us and worship in the way we live their life and go, man, what are they doing? Are they crazy? Have they lost their mind? You know, they're all, you know, they're all crying. What's that raising their hands? What is, what is all that? Sometimes they look and they don't. They don't understand, okay, why we would be emotional. But I would just say to that individual, okay, you don't know my story. You don't know my past. You don't know the sins that I have committed. You don't know the brokenness that was in my heart. You don't know what Jesus did in my heart when he saved me. You don't know truly the story of the beauty for ashes that he has given me. You don't know all that God is doing in my life. So say what you want to, but I'll keep my hands raised. I'll keep a smile on my face. I'll keep a song of worship on my heart. I'll keep my hands lifted. I'll still worship him in spirit and truth. Say what you want, but man, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. She's weeping, okay? She's so overcome with grief, though, that she doesn't recognize it's Jesus. She's so overcome with grief that she doesn't recognize it's Jesus. Sometimes, you know, that can happen to us. We can get so overcome with certain things. We, we deal with so many life tragedies sometimes. We get unexpected bad news and sometimes we lose our, lose our spiritual perspective, okay? Sometimes we, we, we forget about hope. You know, we forget, we, we, we lose our way. We forget, about, we forget about faith. Sometimes things get so bad that we, that we lose our foundation that we have all always depended on. Sometimes there's so many things that are upsetting, you know, that we just kind of lose our spiritual compass. We lose our, we lose our faith. Here's Jesus standing there, and she thinks it's the gardener. Here's the man 
that can help, can speak a word in season. But she's so overcome with grief that she has lost her spiritual sight and her, her spiritual, you know, her spiritual perspective. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if that is you and you've gone through an unexpected difficult time and you feel like, man, my, I've lost my spiritual compass and my perspective just a little bit. I just want you to remember this morning when you go through a hard time, do not forget that He is your healer. He is your deliverer. He is your way maker. He can make crooked paths straight. He is your shelter. He is your mountain mover. Sometimes, man, I get it. Sometimes things happen and, they, and they, they happen suddenly and they're so intense. Man, and it, it just knocks us out. And here, here she is needing that word from Jesus, but she's thinking it's the, it's the gardener, all right? And then the last part of this little episode with Mary, I love this. Jesus chooses Mary to announce his resurrection to the world. Who's the first person? He said, go tell him. Go tell him. He chooses Mary, okay? Broken life, ravaged by sin, possessed by demons, forsaken by her family. You know, there's a message in this, all right? Are you getting this? There's a message that the very first person he said, go tell about my resurrection was a deeply flawed individual. There's a message there, okay? So when you think, I've done too much, I've gone too far, I've broken God's law, he, there's nothing, you know, that there's no way that he could use me. I'm telling you, you are wrong. God will take your brokenness, God will take your mess, and God will use you as a messenger. She's the very first one. He didn't, he didn't go get a priest. He didn't go find someone. He didn't go get his mother, which was close to perfection as it was at that time. He chose to use a very broken person to tell the world about the resurrection. That's good news for us, isn't it? That's good news, all right? Uh, how, many, how many got some brokenness in your life? How many got some failure out there? Listen, God, God can use flawed people. He still uses flawed people to tell others about him. You know, your, your messes and your brokenness don't disqualify you from being used of God. I've done too much. I've gone too far. I've messed up. We'll just leave, we'll leave the, the other stuff to more spiritual people. No, God will take what you've learned out of the depths of your brokenness and you will have a unique message of God's grace for somebody in this world. Okay? All right. So he talks to Mary. And then, you know, the disciples, they're, they're all together in this room. You know, so they're all together. They're excited. We've seen the Lord, okay? And, and, and the Lord appeared to them. The Lord appeared to them, and they're so excited about that, and they're talking about it. Verse 24, you know, um, says, and, and the next Sunday, all right, Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So when the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, 
He said unto them, Unless I see nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Okay? Wow. I mean, that's, a, that's like a huge statement from someone who's a follower of Jesus. So when, when he appeared to them the first time, Thomas wasn't there. And then they're telling them, hey, Jesus appeared, you know, this is so exciting, and he's like, you know, yeah, whatever, whatever, you know, uh, unless, unless I see, unless I see. So you've got Thomas with some doubt, also mixed with a little cynicism here as well. So what could have been a few things that uh, in Thomas' life that might have brought him to this, to this season that he's in? Okay, so why is he thinking this way? Here's a God that's seen it all, but now, man, he's defaulted back to doubt and some cynicism. Well, he witnessed the spiritual failure of two people that he was close to. Okay? So he's, he's at the same communion table when Judas betrays the Lord. Okay? And remember, they were shocked. They didn't know it was Judas. So, man, Thomas is looking going, What? What this? I I've lived with this guy. I mean, we we've we've done ministry together, so he's he's probably shocked that all of a sudden, man, Judas is man. He's walking away from God. He's you know he's he he's almost an enemy, a spiritual enemy. So I had to weigh on him, and then, and then he's there, close by when Peter, you know, kind of the leader, takes the sword, cuts the servant's ear off very violent act. And then he's either close by or he hears that Peter has denied the Lord three times. So here's a guy, man, he's really struggling. He's really struggling. He's seen failure, you know, by people that, you know, that he had great, you know, that he had great confidence in. So, you know, that, that's when he's going, listen, no, unless I see you know, where I can put my hands in his wounds, then, then I, I won't believe at all. You ever gone through something like that? Maybe you've had someone that has failed. Maybe it was a leader. Maybe it was a, a friend. Someone that you looked up to and had great spiritual confidence in and, and somehow, some way, they, they failed God. You ever kind of been through a season like that, and because of their failure, you feel like it's affected you. It just kind of took the wind out of your sails. You were kind of hurt, and it made you maybe ask some questions, some bigger questions about faith and about church, and is this thing real, and is God real? You feel a little betrayed at the individual, but it's making you ask bigger questions about faith. You ever been there? You ever walked through that? That was one thing maybe that he was going through, the failure of two people. And then also, all he had hoped for and trusted in was, was gone. He was the one that gave up his lifestyle, Thomas, to follow Jesus and to live itinerant, town to town, tent to tent, however they lived. It was Thomas, it was Thomas that made that decision to go, and he was there with all the great teachings, he was there at the great, you know, at the great miracles. He witnessed them firsthand. He had given like three years of his life, 
you know, and now, now Jesus is dead and they can't find his body. I mean, this is a second crushing blow this, this young man, this young man is walking through. You ever been through a season like that where you kind of find yourself just kind of shell-shocked with what's going on with your life or you're confused about faith and God, you know, maybe you find yourself openly kind of questioning, you know, openly kind of questioning God and faith and church. You've got some big, deep questions about, about that. Well, Thomas was let down, okay? He had some confusion, and I, wanna, I don't say it even critically. I don't, I don't think anybody kind of walks through maybe what Thomas faced Man, that it doesn't affect you in, in some way. So he was down, he was confused, but look what happened. John 20 and 26. A week later, the disciples were in the house. So this is the next Sunday night or the next Sabbath night. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. Uh, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, he said, Peace be to you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my sides, reach out to my hand, put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said, my Lord, my God. So they're all in the upper room. They're all there. And all of a sudden, Jesus just appeared. Okay. He says, hello. And then he immediately, out of everybody that was there, he walks to Thomas. That's always bad news, isn't it? Like when your parents walk over to you, you've done something bad. You know, he walks over to Thomas. Okay, listen to me. Great compassion. Okay. He doesn't come pointing a finger. <clears throat> he doesn't come angry. He doesn't come with a speech. He doesn't come with, I told you so. Did your parents ever have that speech? I have a version of it myself for my children. I told you so. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't go, hey, you know, like if you're doubting, you know, you need to go on probation out here. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. He walks straight over to Thomas, and the very questions that he had, he answers. He said, Thomas, here's my hand. Put your fingers in my, in the scars of my hand. Thomas, Thomas, take your hand. Put the scars Put the scars on my side, okay? I, I want to say to everyone online here, you may be having some great questions about faith. There may be some things that have happened in your life. Maybe you find yourself drifting from God, walking away from God, questioning whether this whole thing is real. And I just want to say, man, I don't criticize that. I want to validate your, what you're walking through. But I also want to say to you that Thomas is your road sign back to faith and back to God, okay? There's no condemnation there, but there are answers, okay? Jesus didn't rebuke him for having questions. Jesus didn't rebuke him for, to, uh, for coming to some kind of conclusion, you know, about faith. Jesus just reached out to him, and, 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 and Thomas Instantly, when those questions were answered, everything was 
put back in the right priority. Thomas, Thomas saw that again, okay? So just, just know his momentary doubt was not a life-defining moment. What you're going through right now, some of the things that you're facing, you just never know how God may use that in your life. So if you're walking through some kind of big pictures, doubt, doubts and questions, hey, I, I don't have every answer, but I would love to dialogue with you. I would love to pray with you. I would love to share a perspective with you. But I want you to see that Thomas is one that said, unless I see it, I won't believe it. Thomas can be a road sign to you back to God, back to faith, and back to the cross if you'll let it. All right? So it's the next, the next day. They had gone fishing at night. They had gone fishing at night. <clears throat> And fisher, you know, fishermen, they fish at night, or maybe they were a little afraid, so they're out on the boat at night and they're fishing. They can't catch anything. They can't catch anything. A guy yells from the shore, it's Jesus, but it's, the scripture says they don't even know it's him. They don't recognize him. I wonder if Jesus got offended. I mean, he never, nobody ever knows who he is, okay? So he says, he says, hey, Put your nets on the other side of the boat. And they're like, yeah, you know, all these people that know how to fish, you know, all, got all, the, you know, so they do. And, man, the nets are so large that they got to get other boats to help, you know, to help put all these fish. But Peter, immediately when Peter sees this catch, he puts his overcoat on. He jumps out of the boat because he remembered Luke 5. That had already happened once, once before. This, this guy said, throw your nets on the other side. So immediately, Peter knows that it's, that it's Jesus because this miraculous catch. And they eat together in verse 15 of, of 21. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Look at this. Do you love me? More than these. Yes, Lord, feed my lambs. Jesus says the second time, John, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I do. He said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. All right? And Jesus said, feed my sheep. All right? So Peter had this terrible failure. You know, Peter had failed, but he started his pathway back to restoration. He had the three failures, but at some point... He went and knocked on the door where the disciples were at. And he had this, you know, he had this conversation. You ever had to do that? Hey, I'm sorry, I've blown it. Hey, uh, please forgive me. He goes back to the disciples. Now, listen, he, he could have run, he could have hidden, but he faced his failure. He faced his failure, and he goes and he knocks back on the door. And he has this, probably this emotional meeting with the disciples, you know, like, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I blew it. Please, you know, please, you know, please forgive me. You know, like, you know, he, he's facing his failure. He's trying to work out, you know, what is, you know, well, what, what he did. 
I'm going to use a term right here. I'm going to use a word. Some people will know what this word means. Others, you won't really kind of grasp this word, but some will get it, okay? It's the word mulligan, okay? Some people are nodding. Those are the golfers. Other people are like, what? A mulligan in golf is a gift, okay? When you hit it astray, not that I've done it, I've just heard this happens. If they give you a mulligan, it's just a do-over. You get a second chance, okay? You get a, you get a second chance. You get to do it over. I was in a, a charity golf tournament which they sold mulligans, okay? So if you hit a bad shot for $10, you could buy a mulligan, okay? Well, $70 later, you know, when I was out of cash. So I just want to tell you, don't tweet me on this, but God's the God of mulligans, okay? (laughs) He's the God of do-overs, So here's Peter, blew it. Here's Peter, blew it. But he did the right thing. He goes back. Hey, I'm sorry. I messed up. He says to these people. He probably had already prayed this to God a hundred times. But he goes back because sometimes part of your restoration has everything to do, you know, with uh, 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 going back and saying, I'm sorry. Going back and trying to repair bridges. and And that's what he did. And now... And now uh, he's there. He didn't feel sorry for himself. He didn't whine. He faced the fact that he failed. He went back and he said, I'm sorry. Sometimes it's in the failure that we experience the greatest growth. Sometimes it's in our failure, okay? So here's Peter and Jesus, and they're having this very intense conversation, okay? Jesus didn't mention the failure at all. Never said anything. You know, can I just tell you, when you say, Lord, forgive me, he doesn't have to go back and rehash what happened. Well, Peter, you know, hey, I told you, you didn't do this. He never deals with the failure because he's always looking at what we can learn and what we can become with God's grace past this failure. So we ask him three times a very important question that we're going, what does that have to do with Peter's failure? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Peter, do you love me? Yes, if you do, then go serve my people. So the the heart of the walk with God and the child of God is a passionate love for Jesus. That's all he wanted to know. That's all he wanted to know. Do you love me? The third time, Peter, it says Peter was hurt. He couldn't believe it. Yes, Lord, I love you. And he said, if you truly love me, then serve others. Then serve others. I want to tell you something. If my service, if my service to God is not rooted in deep love for Jesus, then something is missing. 
organizational allegiance or duty and responsibility is not what the Lord is looking for when it comes to service. It is service to God for others that is rooted in a deep, passionate love for Jesus. And that's where service is born out of. If your service comes from anywhere else, it's a miss. If your service comes off a video announcement, you felt pressure, you know, well, I really, I really need to do something. I don't want to look terrible to the world. I mean, whatever. But unless it's deep, passionate love, we're, we're missing something. Brent, I want the worship team to come. And then he says to Peter in verse 18, When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went out to where you wanted. And when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death that Peter, but the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. And then he said, follow me. He said, hey, Peter, this love is ultimately going to lead to your death. You still, you still ready? You still ready? It's not going to be a website. It's not going to be lights. This faithfulness, this love is going to lead to your death. And we know about 20 years later, Peter was being executed, and we know from, from history, when they were going to crucify him, he said, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Crucify me upside down. And he did. And he did. What a great, great story. Before we take communion, we, we finish the Gospel of John. <clears throat> but I want to finish up with John's story. <clears throat> so years later, years later, John was on trial for preaching the gospel. John had been, if you look at the book of Acts, John was one of the leaders. Acts 3, silver and gold, Peter and John, silver and gold, have I none? What I have I give to you. I mean, you look at John, he was, he was a church leader. He was on trial in front of either Nero or Diocletian, and he was convicted for preaching the gospel, and his sentence was exile on the island of Patmos put him in shackles, put him on a boat. Patmos is an island that's off the coast of Turkey. They even consider it one of the Greek isles today. They take John, the boat, the boat arrives, the gangplank goes down. There was nothing there. It's not like a prison, okay? They just put him on the island. There might have been a few other prisoners that, on the island. They Maybe, maybe they threw him some rice. Maybe they threw him some grain. Who knows? The gangplank's pulled up. And he sees the ship sailing away. And here he is on this undeveloped island. Maybe there were other prisoners there. Maybe not. John began to live his life in exile. No communication. No hope. He's assuming, yeah, I'll just die here, okay? Where, where he got his food, we have no idea. Where he got his shelter, we have no idea. 
the sickness, the disease. I mean, he's, he's there by himself or with a few other people. But it's interesting when we read the book of Revelation, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What? You're still doing church? You still remember the holy day, the Sabbath? What? Now listen, you can have church whatever time you want to have church. That's the only advantage. You want to sleep in. But to him, he still remembered the Lord's day. To him, it was still a day of worship. No church, no believers, no encouragement, no scrolls, no, no, no one to, to, uh, to be with him. And he says, it was the Lord's day and I was in the spirit. <laughs> He's not going through the motions. He's not just, you know, marking time. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna be here, if I'm gonna have this opportunity, then with everything that I have, I, I am going to, I'm gonna experience the power and the in the presence of God. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. In his most difficult adversity came his greatest spiritual growth and his greatest revelation. Okay? So it's on Patmos when he has nothing, but he's still close to God, that God gives him the vision of the book of Revelation that is read today. Wasn't in a library. Wasn't in comfortable surroundings. I mean, God gives him, God gives him this vision. Listen to me. You know, sometimes when we go through hard times, we're straying from God. I'm just saying his greatest growth and revelation came in his most difficult circumstance. Sometimes we are praying, God, remove me, get me out of here. But we need to pray, God, what are you saying to me in this moment? There's another message. And out of that, man, this whole vision of the end times comes to John. In the Spirit on the Lord's Day, his greatest revelation, one of the greatest writings of John. And it wasn't long after that that a ship comes back. And they pick him up. All right. He goes back to Ephesus. And he writes... 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Hey, I want, to just, I want to tell you this morning. I want to tell you. When you go through a hard time, when you go through a hard time, doesn't mean God is finished. There's something that God wants to say and do in your life with a very difficult circumstance. And we see that from John. And if you go back and read 1 John, there's a constant theme. If you'll just go read it. It's three, four chapters. There's a constant theme of the change that John had on this particular island. All right? Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.